0: Welcome to the LifeHouse Church Podcast. LifeHouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message going to read our scripture text for for today. We're in a series called what? It is what it is. We're coming to the very end. So we're in James 5, which is the last chapter. So we've got this week and in two more weeks of this series. And so today um, we're going into a pretty tough text, all right? But we're going to read James 5, 1 1 through 6, but then we're going to read a couple other scriptures as well that kind of play along with this one. It's going to be lengthy. It's going to be some pretty lengthy portions of scripture. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is not tune out. This could be the most important time in this service is you hearing God's word. Because anything I say in addition to this is secondary to what God has already said. We put God's word at the central here. And so we're, we're, we're so we're going to read three passages of scripture. We're going to stay standing and just to, just to give honor to God's word. And as we do though, I, I want you to lean in, not lean out. Okay, like let's let's lean in. Let's catch the heart of what the Holy Spirit is saying through His word today, and then we're going to dive in. Okay, James chapter five, verse one through six. This is what it says. It says, "Look here, you rich people." <laughs> uh oh. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. It is what it is, right? You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So that is James. Now we're gonna move to 1 Timothy. This is Paul encouraging a very young pastor named Timothy. He's talking again to rich people, and I know some of you here are like, well, thank God that's not talking about me. Oh, woof. this is for the rich. Woo! Well, I just, just want to let you know, if you make $42,000, you're in the top 2% in the worldwide earnings. So let's make sure we're not thinking he's talking to someone else. Let, let, let's, let's ensure we know he's talking to us. Okay? First Timothy 6, 9 through 10, and then 17 through 19 says this, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready. I love that. Like, keep yourself, you don't have to get ready when you stay ready. Be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future, so that they may experience true life okay I know y'all like this is a lot of scripture we're reading one more chunk all right let's just dive into God's word because some of y'all struggle to read your Bibles so I'm helping you literally gonna read some Bible okay Luke chapter 12 verse 15 through 21 this is the parable of the Jesus called the parable of the rich fool where Jesus is telling a parable to get across a point to the people that were there hearing him teach Jesus said this then he being Jesus said beware guard against every kind of greed Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced some fine crops. He said to himself, man, what should I do? Business is good. I don't have room for all this stuff. Now you can tell I'm I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Then he said, I know, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my smaller barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And then this is what I'll do. I'll live the American dream. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not be rich towards God. It is what it is, huh? Those were some chunks there. Lift up hands with me. We're going to pray, then we're going to dive in. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for your spirit and power and presence here. Lord, I pray as we open your word, would you speak to us, challenge us, and change us? We thank you that your love for us is so great, that anything that is spoken today and said today from your heart is because you love us and you want the best for us. So we open up our hearts to you. We love you, we thank you in Jesus name. And everyone said, Amen and amen. Before you see to turn around, give 5 to 7 people a high five. Tell them you're glad to see them. Give them a high five. Show show them some show them some love. All right, well, we are so glad you're here today one more time. If it is your first time joining us, we just sincerely want to say welcome, Life House family. Can we just give it up for all those joining us for the first time today? Also want to welcome all of those joining us online as well. It's so good to have you with us. Um, as you can tell today, it is one of those, it is what it is, words. And you can tell the theme in the scriptures that we read today, and that's why the title of this message is called A Message to the Rich. And, but I know like many of us here are like, well, I'm glad that's for somebody else. I'm glad that I'm not rich, Um, but somebody else is, but it's not me. And some of you are like, maybe it's your first time or maybe, you know, Lifehouse and you're like, great. I came on the day they're talking about money. I get the money message. Because when people start, you know, when preachers, pastors, they start talking about money, they're, they're like, all right, when's the offering? When, do, when are we taking the offering? And let me just say, we're not going to be receiving the offering like, like we're not going to be promoting it. Because I don't, I don't want anything I say today to be related to that. Because this is not about that. This is not about taking a special offering. This is not about here to get your money. This is ultimately a message about your soul and the condition of your soul and the condition of your discipleship to Jesus. Because as you can tell, as we just read in all of these passages, it's talking to rich people. And like I said, we have to make sure that if you make 42, like if, if you have a $42,000 salary, you are in the top 2% of, pe- of top earners in the world. And one thing that I sent, sent out today, email-wise, is you have to understand, your world isn't the world. The typical, normal, American, United States life we live is not the reality for billions of people around the world. So we've got to make sure that as we're hearing these scriptures, and when we're hearing not only what James said, but what Jesus said, and what Paul said, we have to view it through the lens of the culture we live in. We have to view it through the lens of how the world is and what life we actually get to to live in. Kind of here's the whole point from all three of those scriptures. What you do with your money matters. What you do with your money matters. Here's why. Two-thirds of Jesus' teachings were about money and wealth. Imagine me. Every every 66% of my sermons were about money and wealth. How many of y'all would be here? Probably not a lot. But I man, all that pastor does talk about money. Well, Jesus thought that it was so important. 66% of his teachings recorded in the New Testament, in the Gospels, were about money. There's over 2,000 Bible verses about money and wealth. Jesus said this for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Randy. Alcorn wrote a great book called The Treasure Principle. Inside of that, he said this, and here's what I think I'm translating what Jesus said. God sees our finances and our faith as inseparable. Now take these thoughts, right, because I need you to see how important money is to your faith. Because I think what we can do sometimes in discipleship is we can compartmentalize our faith. And we can say, well, God really wants this, he doesn't want that and you become the person that thinks you know what God wants. Because it's filled with a lot of what you don't want to give away. We can't separate what Jesus said, what Paul said, what James said, even what the rest of Scripture says, that your money, your wealth, and your faith in God are intrinsically connected. Now consider how important Jesus, Paul, James, the Scripture says money is, and consider these thoughts and combine with these facts about America. So here's here's what we have to understand because here's the thing. You have to understand the context you live in to rightly understand the context of the Bible. Consider this fact, America is the richest richest nation in the world. 20 trillion GDP. And like I said, if you have an annual average income of 42000 you are in the top 2% of earners worldwide. Now, these are, these are stats. On average, America gives away, Americans, and here's, here's the thing, this is Christians thrown in, gives away 3% of their income. And there are a couple different stats that, that kind of, you know, there was a big research project done by the University of Notre Dame. It was called Pass the Plate Project where they studied Christians and giving. And what they found was there was not a huge difference from the way Christians give to the way non-Christians give. Which is really interesting. Whenever you look at the very early church and the way they functioned and the way they were described. And I talked about this in the sermon series, the church should be where we talked about the qualities of the very early church. And one of their qualities is that they were insanely generous. And Tim Keller, when talking about it, kind of describing the early church, Pastor Tim Keller, he said this, The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and gave practically everybody their money. And, and it's, it's like these are the things we have to remember and wrestle with as followers of Jesus as we are contemplating James' words of him saying things like, your gold is corroding, your fine clothes you have on are burning your f-. like He uses some pretty powerful imagery because he's wanting them to understand not how bad wealth is, but the danger of it. And that's why I think it's so important we have to be aware of the culture we're in. Because here's the thing, if you aren't aware of the culture you're following Jesus in, it will be easy, and here's the thing, for cultural sins to be normalized. Because here's the thing, y'all, we live in the richest nation and many of us have been discipled by the culture so we're moving in the direction of just getting more and more and more and you know this because every advertisement isn't is not like do you want do you long for contentment let us teach you how to cultivate contentment in your heart because they wouldn't sell anything that way what are they telling you your clothes suck your car is old Your house needs to be updated. If you don't have 30 years saved up in retirement, what is your life? Right? This is what is being fed to us. And if we're not careful, it's easy when everybody is going in a direction. It's easy just to go along with it. And what ends up happening? Cultural like country cultural sins get normalized this was slavery right it's like what the heck are we doing we look back on that we're like what what that world people is property but there was a lot of people just doing it it was what it was until someone was like this is stupid these are people made in the image of god Who's going to stand up for what's right? But it had been normalized so people turned their backs on it and they even tried to use God to justify it. Right? You guys are quiet this morning? I don't know if it's the... Hope you all just process. Okay. But this is what happens whenever we have something like this that is so close to the heart of our culture that if we are not intentional in realizing it and intentionally heading in a different direction, then we will just be taken along with the tsunami that culture is, and then we'll start to normalize or compromise what we shouldn't. And let me give you a couple ways the church has tried to do this, right? Because you you get a culture, a country, that's just bent on more, 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 bent on consumerism, bent on the more you have, right? Like, then you have people promoting teachings like this, like this, right? The prosperity gospel or the poverty gospel. So they're saying like, okay, we live in a rich nation. Well, I think God wants everyone rich. And the richer you are, the more holy you are. The richer you are, the more spiritual. Like the more richer you are, God must like you more. And there's a whole... Brand of teaching out there that is like if you serve Jesus, you should have bins, you know, and all of these things. But then some people were like, no, 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 it's not prosperity, it's poverty. You are more spiritual, more holy, more Christian, the less you have. So if you are living on a bench, eating once a month, that makes you more spiritual. And I've got a problem with these two categorizations because the gospel doesn't need help, y'all. When we're having an adjective to describe the gospel, we've gotten away from the gospel. Because the gospel at its core, the gospel doesn't need help. The gospel is being rich or poor doesn't make you more holy, spiritual, or Christian. The gospel is ultimately about what Jesus did, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, Grows from the dead, and you now become, you receive a new identity as a son or daughter of God. So it does not make you more spiritual, holy, whether you're poor or whether you're wealthy. What what makes you a son or daughter of God is the gospel. It is the good news. It is a new identity. You receive, you don't achieve it. So when you say yes, like when we had those three people last week say yes, what we're thankful for is they received a new identity in Christ. Now our job as the church is to come beside them and to now help them be discipled and live up to, you know, in now like live up to who they already are now in Christ. That's the gospel. That is the good news. It does not need help. And when we attach any sort of identity money wise to the gospel, we lose the gospel because there's the gospel doesn't need help. Now, part of achieving and walking in this new identity in Christ and being a disciple and being, and when we talk about discipleship, it's the process of you being shaped and formed to be more like Jesus. I think some people lose that, that being a Christian is, is not just like, okay, you, you've got this new identity, sit on your butt, don't do anything. You're saved by a, faith, which is definitely true, but at the same time, then they're like, okay, I'm good with God. I'm going to go and do whatever I want to do. And they miss the fact of one of the things that Jesus said is that the kingdom of God is within you. That what Jesus is trying to do is he is trying to shape and form you into being a certain kind of person. And the way Jesus described it, because when Jesus came, he started talking about the kingdom of God and what and, and people were like this this kingdom and like what, what is it? and Jesus had to try to explain to them what he meant by the kingdom of God and one of the things he told them is that the kingdom of God it's 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 going to be done within you do we have that slide married on the kingdom of God is within you okay I was about to say I was like just, just want to make sure here The kingdom of God, meaning meaning this, where Jesus wants to ultimately take ground isn't around you, it's inside of you. And as the kingdom of God is built and grows inside of of you, what ultimately happens is wherever you go, then the kingdom of God can be built. That, That is why like we think Jesus wants to save nations which he wants to save people but he is not specially favoring the United States. And that's hard for some of you to like be, really? Like we are not special because of where we live. Jesus Jesus says I like I will build my kingdom in you and then wherever you go you can then build the kingdom so basically this the kingdom of god can spread to your workplace and in your family if it's being built in you so wherever you go see this is what cracks me up people want revival in the church and i'm like revival in the church begins when people start realizing they are revival go and take revival to where you go why? Because the kingdom of God is being built in you. And as it's built in you, then it can be built through you. Because G- here's the thing, Jesus, because people were so focused on, what, on, on kind of behavior, and Jesus said, I just don't want behavior, I want the heart. Because if I can get the heart, the behavior will follow. But you can do the right things for the wrong reasons. So, you can be doing the right behaviors and doing the right behaviors to get something from God. You can be doing the right behaviors thinking if I do these things, then God will like me more. The right behaviors flow from what God is doing within you. And what He said is, is as you receive a new identity, this kingdom then begins to expand inside of you. And the values, the principles, and the ways of the kingdom start to get built in your life. Then you can take it and build it and bring it to the various contexts you live in, to your own life. Like, you need the gospel in you. Well, I would encourage you, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preaching isn't just about getting on a stage. Sometimes you need to preach to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. I'm, I am loved, deeply loved by God. I'm a son or daughter of the Most High. You know, you can preach to yourself. And some of you need to start talking to yourself, not to be a crazy psychopath, but to start reminding yourself of who you are in Christ. Instead of letting your thoughts roam to whatever feeling or urge or desire is inside or whatever social media says or whatever the TV's telling you, turn that stuff off and start declaring who you are in God. Why? Because you forget at like every minute. <laughs> we have a proclivity to forget. So I would encourage you that the kingdom is being built within you. Now, because it's being built within you, discipleship, and, and that's the journey of discipleship, and, and kind of the trajectory of where I want this message to go is realizing that you becoming a certain kind of person begins with you receiving a new identity, with the kingdom of God being, being planted inside of you and it growing and overtaking you. But at the same time, discipleship is not only a work that Jesus does without your participation. Participation i think some of us feel the lord's just going to change me i'm not going to have to do anything he's just going to float me away into being a virtuous loving generous human and i don't know about you but i don't read that in scripture one of the things that i hear paul saying is keep in step with the spirit that essentially as the spirit leads you follow as the spirit speaks you respond he's not going to force you he's not going to put a gun to your head saying hey do this or else no why? because he wants your heart he wants your want to so he's trying to just not change your behavior he's trying to change your intentions and your desires but these happen as you enter into and this is what we say at our church into a life of what training no one okay <laughs> to a life of training into a life of training, where we are training to be like Jesus, we're not trying. Training over trying, and we should actually be having shirts that say that on our birthday. So I would encourage you, pick one up, so you can be reminded as a follower of Jesus, you're not just trying to be like him, because you can't try hard enough, because you didn't live a perfect life, you didn't die for sin, you can't try hard enough, but you know what you can do? You can train. where the context of your life, the port of your life, becomes this journey of discipleship to Jesus, where you are training to become a certain kind of person, a certain kind of person that's born of heaven, not hell, that is striving to bring the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of hell. And where does this ultimately play itself out? It plays itself out in how you handle your money is one of the areas of discipleship that you saw is As Jesus said, Scripture says, one of the most important areas, if not the most important area, because where your money goes exposes where your heart is ultimately going. C.S. Lewis Lewis said this here. He said, people often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you. And if you don't, I'll do the other thing. (laughs) I love how C.S. Lewis says that. He says, I do not think that is the best way of looking at it. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all of your innumerable choices, all of your life, long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a, he- into a hellish creature. Either, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is our choices matter. The innumerable choices we have to be transformed into the image of Jesus are innumerable every day. The choices you have of bringing heaven to earth are innumerable every day. Yet at the same time, the choices you have to bring hell to earth, selfishness to earth, greed to earth are innumerable as well. And I love how he describes it's these little choices in our heart, our mind, and spirit, the holistic nature of our lives that will ultimately shape and form us to be a certain kind of person to build the kingdom or not build the kingdom in this world. See, here is a thought here, combining the last couple thoughts. Faith through grace saves you, but formation into a kind of person occurs through repetitious actions. There is no formation without repetition. Essentially saying, the more you practice something with the right heart, the more you get acclimated to doing it, and it becomes an ingrained response and a core reality of who you are. And one of the things that I think is killing Christians in the United States is this exact principle because we just want Jesus to do all the work without us investing in it as well. And, and this is in a lot of areas, not just, gener- and not just in generosity, but in a lot of different areas. When, whenever you think, if you're going to become a more generous person, then don't think that when, the, when a perfect 70-degree San Diego weather moment happens, then I'll be generous. Like, because that's what I, I think we, we think. I heard one Navy SEAL say, we don't rise to the level of the occasion. We sink to the level of our training. And I think some people don't realize that Jesus got to this point of offering his life to God the Father. Even when he prayed, if there's any other way to do this, can you do it? Because I'm not, I'm not looking forward to this crucifixion thing. He could practice that in that moment because he had trained to live a life of giving himself away. And during the Father's will, you hear his conversations in the gospel. It was going to I do what my Father tells me to do. I do what my Father says. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells, tells me to do. He was training in this relationship to obey his Father. So when the highest moment came of, am I going to obey? He had already trained and practiced for that his whole life. So when it came to ultimately give his life, he had already had years and years of training to where he said, I don't understand it, but I'm going to do it. We cannot disassociate being Christ-like apart from training. Because I think we just think it's all just go to the altar, get filled, leave, and it's all perfect. No, you are entering into a life of training. Are y'all hearing me? Where God, like, like, this is what discipleship is. It's you being shaped and formed to be a certain kind of person as you practice certain principles to get to that. Like, kind of like, it's, it's, it's no different than, than physical training. It's no different than sports players. Even that's why Paul said, like, physical training has some value. Because what he says is that, like, that gives us an example of what growth is like in the spiritual realm. You don't say, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. No, you should probably go out and just walk a half mile. Put the pizza down. Don't get Chick-fil-A milkshakes. God, they're so good. 90 grams of sugar. There's your weekly fact. So as you're drinking that milkshake, I hope you feel guilty. 90 grams of sugar in a Chick-fil-A milkshake no it's like you've got to train up to do a marathon but that's the way i think people think about following jesus oh man seven days of prayer and fasting not eating nothing water once a day go get it and you're in it the first day and you're like man that red lights on over there Krispy Kreme. jesus it's just one donut you know it's just like No, what I would say is probably just start off with fast one meal a day. Stop thinking all or nothing. Think in steps. Think in training. Think if I'm going to get to this spot, I can't bypass all these necessary steps. And that's why I think it's so important when we're talking about generosity and we're talking about money, we're talking about riches, we have to take into account all of these variables about where we live, but the context of our discipleship to Jesus, which is this concept of training. We, the decisions we make, shape and form us into a different kind of person. And I think, see here is a thought, I I think if we don't learn to be generous with our stuff, especially our Money, how will, if God calls us to give our lives, how will we give that? Because, that, y'all, that's the point of generosity is to be a better giver, to practice giving. Well, I don't know where it goes. I don't know who gets it. They're probably taking that money and smoking weed. <laughs> They're just probably, you know, you know, and you get so defensive about where that money is going to be used, and you don't examine yourself. Man, this is practice. Man, this is practice. This is practice. Yeah, you want to be wise. You don't want to, you know, but, but, but ultimately I think we defend th- like that more than we realize we're in training. And if the Lord, he might uh, give, give $20 to this person. No, that was just the pizza I had last night. God would. No, because if, if you don't practice being generous, if the Lord says, I want you to go and do so-and-so, if there hasn't been a track record of saying yes to small things, how are you going to say yes to big things? And God sometimes won't even speak to you in bigger things until he sees faithfulness in the little things. Some of you, God wants to give you more, but he can't trust you because you don't even handle and steward the little you have. We can even devalue the amount, like whatever we have. Well, you know, it's like, we well, you know, and it's, and, it, and it's, Y'all, it's, it's about discipleship. Generosity is in the context of you becoming more like Jesus. That's the point of your life, Jesus followers. So it is an opportunity, so here's a, but, but here's the thing. Nobody wants to be deemed greedy. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're generous. Everybody. doesn't matter what your budget says. Nah. I'm not greedy. OK. But that, that's where I think we've got to, like, stop lying to ourselves. It is what it is. To, to where, here, here's the thing, generosity has to be more than an intention or an ideal. It has to be practical. Here's the thing, our behavior has to move in the direction of our beliefs. Y'all, this is not about you giving more to the church this is so much more important to that cuz this is your soul this is your discipleship to Jesus this is you being formed and shaped into a different kind of person this is not at the level of just give the money to the church please <sighs> yes please so give god's doing stuff get on board but at the same time this goes deeper than that into your soul So it's got to be practical. What our intention is has got to be matched with our actions or it's not a reality. Am I crazy for thinking that? I mean, how many of you have experience? I played basketball. I'd go to a basketball club. I I remember Going, going to this one court, me and this other guy, and these dudes were talking smack, and they had what do you call, it? what are those things called, uh, Jarvis, sliders? Shoot, slides, slides, you know what slides are? Like basically flip-flops. <laughs> so me and this other guy, right, we're like playing them, and I, you know, I think they just saw me, and they were like, man, this dude can't play, I can play in these slides. <laughs> so they were talking smack, talking junk, well, me and this other dude, we go up 7-0 on them, and they're like, hold on, bro, hold on. And he goes and gets his shoes on. <laughs> he's like, oh, you know, but I, and then we beat him 11-1. So then it was like, okay, the dude, but this is the way we can be. We talk a lot of smack. But does our game match up even what our intention is? Right? Does it match? Because here's what we will do. Like, we will say, you know, like, it's crazy how Defensive we can get whenever we start talking about this. Like we'll be like, Yeah, well look at the way the government spends the money and and you can't trust churches, can't trust pastors, and can't get can't, 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 and you people just throw these machine gun rebuttals when all they're doing is pointing fingers instead of looking into their own life. And y'all, that's the hardest thing to do is not to look at all the reasons you shouldn't give, all the reasons you shouldn't be generous but actually look in, is my desire for generosity and my discipleship to Jesus, is what my budget is aligning up with that desire? So it's not just a intention, it's actually a reality. So I wanna get practical, give you a couple thoughts. Is everyone doing okay? Still like me? Okay, no, just, no, y'all, I just pray you hear, hear my heart because my job is to help you be more like Jesus. I'm not here to, I am not here to be liked. My first job is to be your pastor. I hope you like me. I'm a people pleaser. But I have learned I will hinder people's development if I don't tell them the truth. All right, let's get practical. First, when it comes to generosity, be proactive, not reactive. One of the practical ways you can do this is make a budget. I think one of the reasons why we struggle to be generous is money plans us. We don't plan it. Because here's the thing. If you don't lead your money, culture and your selfish desires will lead you. And then it'll, it'll just be whatever you feel in the moment <laughs> gets the money. One of the worst things we can say is, is something like, I'll give when I feel led. Y'all, no other part of our discipleship to Jesus is that way. Like, I'll, I'll love you when I feel led. Wow. Wow. That will be an interesting life. One of the reasons why some of you you can't be generous is you don't have discipline. And being disciplined is like you have a budget. So basically you're like, in light of who I want to become, I'm going to budget what is important to me. Right? So basically in light of the person you are wanting to be, in light of who Jesus has called you to be, you now put your budget into alignment with that that make sense? Instead of it being reactive, up only only got five bucks this month. TJ Maxx has called, just called my name. (laughs) TJ Maxx called and I answered, I hear you call. (laughs) Sorry. But like, then then we'll take the victim mentality. I I just, no, that's one of the things the spirit of God gives you is is a spirit of self-control spirit of discipline. That's actually a fruit, scripture says, of the spirit. So one of the ways, because you have to prepare for generosity. Many of you wanted to, to just be spontaneous and just, and just be reactive and when you feel led, but that's not forming you and shaping you and you being a certain kind of person. You have to be proactive with it. Secondly, here, here's the thought, budget generosity. If you have a budget, have a line item. Like, And I'm not, but I'm just telling you, Kristen and I do this. Like we, like it is as important as the mortgage. As food, God help us, food is insane. But it is that important. We don't negotiate with generosity. We don't play with it. Because here's the thing, if you are not intentional in being generous, the, 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 the power of culture will unintentionally or intentionally push you in the opposite direction. And just know when you are being generous, it will feel, it'll feel like you're literally going upstream. But just know if you're going upstream, you're probably doing something right. And make it automatic, like don't, and here's the thing, this is not just church, this is if you have the opportunity to bless a single mom, to bless a family, to bless somebody in paying rent, like this is not just about us, this is about you and your discipleship to Jesus. Have a line item where you say, I want to be able to have the freedom, if I go to a grocery store and the Lord tells me pay for their groceries, you're not sweating it, do I got the money? You go there and confidently say you give them the card and pay for it and swipe or insert the chip, whatever, and you're like, I got this budgeted. Do you understand how planning can prepare you for spontaneous moments? This is even the power of worship. Like worship, we prepare, but we're like God, if you want to do something spontaneous, do it. Preparation actually prepares you for the spontaneous because you're ready. Is this making sense? Is this good? All right, budget, generosity. Some of you, you gotta make a budget, like your step is you gotta know where the heck your money's going because it's going to Target and Starbucks and you have no idea. I might be speaking from, ex- from experience, I'm not sure. <laughs> I had to tell my wife, get that Target card off of, off, of, off of this account. But I get 5% off and, 5% off is not an excuse to spend 30% more money. (laughs) All right, but some of you, you've got a budget, but you're letting the culture lead you instead of your discipleship to Jesus lead you. And you need to start budgeting generosity. Now you say, John, how much? This is always the question, right? Here is what we teach at LifeHouse. Choose a percentage that is sacrificial, generous, and formational, right? Because here's the thing, percentages are more telling than how much. I'll give you an example. When Jesus, it says that he was in the temple and he was watching people put their donations in <laughs> That was funny to me. I'm sorry. It's just like Jesus is sitting there like, mm-hmm. you know, like just drop it on what people give it. How would you like if I was out out there by that giving box out there and like, what the do? Uh, they passed it. Well, uh, okay. You know, it's like, this is crazy. Like I love the gospels, right? Like Jesus was sitting there watching and there was a woman, a widow who came and put one cent and then there were Pharisees, ballers, throwing in their like thousand dollar bills and Jesus took his disciples aside and he said, let me tell you a truth. She gave more than they gave because she gave sacrificially. What they gave wasn't sacrificial at all. Jesus was saying there, sacrifice is more important than how much. And that is why I think it's important. I am like tithing. Let's talk about tithing. Everyone's favorite topic. you've been in church, you know the word tithing. If you have not been in church, you might have like heard the word. And like tithing is is something that even if if you study pastors are like, you've got to tithe. Some pastors are like, no, it's not tithing. It's generous giving. Just kind of give generously, whatever you think is generous. And I am like, I do believe in same time, somewhat don't believe in tithing. Let me explain. Can I? Because there are some people, and with especially inflation happening, like somebody deciding I'm going to give 2% of what I bring in is a tremendous sacrifice for them. 3, 4, 5%, whatever, right? If they decide I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to give this, that for them is because they would give that would take them a level lower in their living. A level lower a level lower in their living. So th- it would be a sacrifice. But then you've got some people, 10, 10%, if they're like, I give 10 and the rest is mine. No, that's really not really, it's like, it's all God's. You, it's not you give 10 and then that leaves you to do 90 with whatever you wanna do. It's I it's know like, like if you give, like, be, be, here's the thing, 10% for some is not a sacrifice Just example, if, if you're making 250000 I mean, I'm just throwing out a number. If your household income is $250,000, 25000 it's a chunk. But is that really a sacrifice? Right? So can you see why I'm like, ah. Uh, I, what I see in the New Testament is exactly what is here. Sacrificial. And that's going to vary by family. Generous, Like, what, what is something that when you give, like, it, 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 it might take you a level lower in your living. Like, it, it might mean you don't have the newest car. It might mean you don't have the newest house. But it's something that is generous and sacrificial, and here's the key word, formational, because that's the point. You're trying to become a certain kind of person. Are you hearing my heart? And, and so that is why I'm, I'm like, I, like t- yeah, like I, I practice, like me and Chris, we practice, like we, like, y'all, I've seen God, like, y'all, I've lived this thing. Bruh, like God provides. And, and even some of y'all, when you have too much, you hinder God from working. You know what giving does? Giving sacrificially actually creates space for God to move. Some of you are like, God move, God move. And he's like, I ain't got no room. I got no space. And what that's actually doing is it's creating more more anxiety on you because you think you just need more, 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 more when if you would actually give, you'd create room for God to actually be faithful and show himself as faithful. And you would know no matter what happens, I got a father in heaven that will provide for my every need, not my every want. And that's, y'all, I've tasted and seen that God is good. And I want you to taste and see that he is good too. So that, that is why. Here's the thing. If you, here's the thing. There's a book called God and Money. God and Money. The best book I've ever read on stewardship, giving, whatever. I would almost say if you would be willing to get that book and read it, I'll buy it for you. This book is that good. It's that th- thorough it's two Harvard businessmen that went to Harvard Business School and wrote their dissertations because they got saved while they were at school <laughs> they got saved and did a thorough investigation through the scriptures about everything it says about money and they narrowed it down into a book that is super practical super biblical i love it and i'll almost say if you'd be willing to read this book email me and we'll buy it for you. It's that good. And I believe it's that transformative. But one of the things this book says that the author, uh, John Cortines and Gregory Balmer say, they say, instead of simply asking how much we should give, maybe we should start asking how much do we actually need to keep? And let that being the driving question. I know some of you say, John, I can't afford to be generous. I would retort by saying, you can't afford not to be generous. It's that important to your discipleship, to Jesus. Not my words, Jesus' words. Not my words, James' words. Not my words, Paul's words. It's that important. Say, John, I can't afford to save for retirement. Can't afford to save for college. Can't afford, can't afford, can't afford. And I... Y'all, I understand circumstances. I understand all that. But what I would also say and what the widow shows us, we can't afford not to work generosity into our practical life because the more we do something, the more we get better at it and more we are shifted and transformed into a certain kind of person. It's that important. A.W. Tozer writes, he said, Before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will not be judged by how much I have done but by how much I could have done. And like I said, if all you're hearing is shame, guilt, and and condemnation here today, that is not the message, that is not the heart. I, I understand the country we live in, the messages you're hearing, and the messages you're hearing today. This is crazy. But like I said, my job is to take your hand and put it in Jesus' hand. And my heart is for, like, one of the core values of our church is we leave a legacy. Meaning we live in light of our last day and steward everything that God gives us in light of our last day. So we invest and and, and we take what we have and we invest it in what matters to God as seeing the kingdom built as the kingdom is built inside of us. So my heart today for you is to be more like Jesus. This is not about giving to a church at all because it's so much deeper than that. Jesus said, it's literally about your soul. And us being generous, y'all, here's here's, here's the thing. This call to generosity, because I think sometimes we can, like even what is taught in the church, like you're generous, so God will be a cosmic stock market, right? And we've been bathed in that mindset, and I hate it. Why? Because that means God needs to do something more for us than he's already done, and I just think that's insane. Somewhat like if we don't give generously, we, we, we don't work generosity into our budgets and do you know we we, we don't do this out of guilt. We don't do it out of, well, I don't I don't want to go to hell. No, that y'all, that's that's not the heart God wants you to have. Because that is that is the devil, y'all. No, we give to be formed. We give to be shaped. And here is the truth: our generosity is simply a response to the generosity of God. The whole desire to be shaped and formed, to be like Jesus and to be a generous person is we give in response, meaning we're simply trying to mirror the generous God that loved us, that saved us, that cares for us, that wants the best for us. The famous verse, John 3, 16, what does that say? For God so loved the world that he what? gave, generous, generously gave, you can come up jars. ours, Gen- gener- gener- generously gave, generously gave, and that as, so the generosity we do is we just want to be a reflection of that. Yes, with, with our hands, with our bodies, with our stuff, but also to even more importantly with our money and with our wealth. Do y'all hear my heart today? Do you feel my heart today? Did you learn something today? Would you stand up with me? Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.